team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, so my plan for the show this morning was for us to just jump right into the news today because there hasn't been a lot of stuff happening. But then I saw something on social media that, I mean, we have a platform here. I have a platform here, so I felt the need to address it. Uh, there was a Ticats fan, I'm not going to say their name, not going to give out their Twitter handle or anything like that, who posted today on Monday as we're recording that they had a shirt made up. That is a picture of Ty Cat's offensive coordinator, Tommy Condell, with Fire Condell written below it. And I get it. I understand the team's slow start has tempers running a little high. I get the frustration that the offense isn't clicking, and it's not just a one-season thing. This offense hasn't been clicking for, for a while now. I, I get all that. I don't know how you feel about this, this, this type of stuff, these type of publicity stunt type things that fans can do sometimes. I hate this shit, man. Like, I don't think it's cute. I don't think it's funny. I certainly don't think it makes a damn bit of difference. It's not as if the team's going to be like, oh, there's some guy in the crowd wearing a fire Tommy shirt. I guess that's what we're going to do. I think people need to understand if the organization was unhappy with Tommy Condell and what he was doing, he would have been fired in the offseason. Like, they don't have to bring coaches back. I know that there's a coach's cap. The Ticats, notoriously, you've said this numerous times, they're not they don't have a really have a quick trigger finger anymore. This isn't the early Bob Young days where it's, you got like a season and a half and if things didn't go well you were out and they brought the new guy in. They they kind of fired Marcel Belfay rather quickly. I know they gave him 3 years, but that kind of came at a little abruptly. They obviously went with George Cortez for only a season, but since Ken Austin arrived in 2013, like Austin his exit was on his own. June Jones his exit was on his own and now we're on Orlando Steinhauer here. I I just don't think that this team is going to pull the trigger, but if they were going to, they would have done that in the off season. He wasn't fired in the off season. And unless things get really bad, like, and I mean to the point where they're scoring single digit points every, like it to, to me, what we're seeing now is not great, but it's not the, the bottom of the barrel that we've even seen with Ticats offenses in the past. They aren't going to fire him. I don't think I think at best you're you're waiting for the end of the season with this. So I just don't understand a why you'd waste your money on on something like this. Like I just don't know what point you're trying to make. Like we all know that Ticat fans and I'm sure the team knows that Ticat fans are frustrated with the offense that Condell is running. So it's like, is this to just get a bunch of Twitter likes? Is this just to have strangers think you look cool? Like I don't I just don't understand it. And I'm going to ask the same question that I always ask in these scenarios. Who are you replacing him with? Because it's easy to come up with fire this guy, fire that guy. And when things are going poorly, everyone wants to fire everyone associated with the team. 
But then you ask them this question and they either don't have a solution as to who the replacement should be, or they make some crazy choice that would never happen in a million years. Like we saw it last year with Kahari Jones. It was, they brought Kahari Jones and you can just fire Tommy and bring Kahari. But Kahari was on here just like Scott Milanovic is, who's everyone's favorite pick on a part-time basis. Now Jones was here a lot more than Milanovic has been, as I've said previous, and I can report this as fact. He has not been in Hamilton since the end of training camp. And I had someone fight me on this, but it's like, I'm there every day. He's not on the practice field. It was, it wasn't announced, but it was, it's known amongst those in the know that he did not sign a full-time deal. He's not in Hamilton. He's back at his home. I believe he lives in Florida. He's back there. He's still consulting and doing all that stuff, but he's not here on a day-to-day basis. And part of the reason is that's how they could afford to bring him in. They don't give him a full state. He's not, you know how much money Scott Milanovic could could command if he ever came back to the CFL on a full-time basis? The Ticats just didn't have the money to do that. So he's here on, an, on a kind of a part-time deal. I, I just think that you, you get a shirt like this made up and you wear it because you're unhappy with your football team is just lame to me. Like, I feel like you need to be better than this, quite frankly. And I just, I, I don't like calling for people's jobs. Quite, This is their livelihood. And I, I get that it's a performance-based business. And I understand that in sports is different than the real world. But could you imagine if you had a rough stretch at work and someone came into your work wearing a fire Mike shirt or <laughs> like, I've like you work with the public somewhat. I've worked with the public before and I've had bad, I've had instances where, where I've dealt with customers and patrons who have been like, I've been in a sour mood or I've, I've screwed something up and they've been like, I want to speak to your manager. I'm going to get you fired. And it never happens because that's not how businesses work. I mean, you fist fight someone. Sure. That's a different story, but you mess something up here or there. You get, you know, reprimanded. Like I'm sure you've been reprimanded at work. I've been reprimanded at work. But you don't you don't lose your job because some schmuck came in and said, like, oh, I, I think that you're useless or I you screwed this up. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what this is. And I know sports in real world are not the same thing, but it just it just strikes me as lame. It just strikes me as unproductive. It's I I just don't see the point in, in all of this. And mm. I, I I don't know. It just it's not it's not something that I think people should be doing. I think people should be better than this. And I was really disappointed when I saw it. Do you have any feelings on this or do you just want to move on to talking about the news of the week? I'll touch on it a little bit. I just think that <clears throat> there's such a big, uh, you know, it's not majority, but there, there is a lot of Ticat fans that would like to see Tommy Condell get fired and, and the team knows it, right? I mean, they're not oblivious. So this, you know, getting a t-shirt made isn't going to accomplish anything. So to me, and, and I, you know, I, it's not excuses for Tommy or the team, but you know, the off, Offensive line early on has been decimated. They lost their starting quarterback. It's been a real tough ride these first four games of the season. So, I, you know, I just can't lay the blame at Tommy Condell's feet at this point. And I think I'm with you. I think it's kind of lame. And what did I tell everyone at the beginning of the season that I thought would happen? It, and it's exactly what has happened, that they would struggle to start the year. Mm-hmm. This was going to be a team that I thought was going to build up to being something great. I didn't think that they would be three and one or four and oh after these first four games i said two and two is probably the peak because you looked at the first two games and you go against the back-to-back against the two gray cup uh, participants from a year ago and then the next two games the montreal game is probably the most disappointing of all of them like losing to losing to toronto losing to winnipeg especially on the road i i don't look at those as quote-unquote bad losses the one against the owls especially as we've seen the owls play the last couple of weeks looks more and more like a bad loss but they'll get their chances against montreal coming up in the next couple of weeks in the season 
And then they beat Ottawa. Sure, they didn't beat them convincingly, but they still got the win. And, and no one seems to complain more about the style of wins than Ticats fans do. But I kind of knew this was going to happen. Even if everyone was healthy, I thought this team would struggle yeah. to start the year. So to see them do this, like, if this team by Labor Day is over 500, no one's going to be calling for, like, are, are you going to sit there and say, in fair, like, in honesty, with, with Ticat fans, I saw this with Jeremiah Mazzoli. There were a set of fans that just hated the fact that the, in 2019 and in 2018, Mazzoli played well. 2017, he played exceptionally well to end the season and hated the fact that he had led them because he wasn't the guy they wanted to be the starting quarterback. Then you see in 2019, they're, what, 4-1, and 5-1 and one when he gets hurt. They probably would have still gone 15-3, and three, you know, 14-4 and four with Mazzoli in the lineup. They did that with Dane Evans. But there were people who were just like, it almost felt like they'd rather see the team lose so that they could get their way than yeah. they were happy that the team was winning because they were winning with someone who wasn't, quote-unquote, their guy. And I get the feeling with this as well is that Tommy Condell has been such a whipping boy for for the fans of this franchise. And you mentioned that it's not a majority. I don't even think it's a huge minority of fans, to be honest with you. I think this is – you're on social media. I think it's a small, vocal minority of super small minority of fans who, who are ticked off. It is not the vast majority of the fan base because I think the vast majority of the fan base just want to see an entertaining product to see the team win. And I don't think they're calling for the offensive coordinator's head. I genuinely believe that. Cause I think if you talk to most casual fans and as much as we like to say, like we cater to the hardcore with, with our show, we get into the minutia. Most of the fans of this league are, are casual fans. And I know some people who are season ticket holders who are not in on the day to day runnings of this team and, and don't really care who the offensive coordinator is and in some cases don't even know who it is but that's that's the way some fans choose to consume the product and that's perfectly fine so the people who are calling for condell's firing interestingly enough not calling for mark washington's which is something that's flummoxed me because the defense up until this past week had been just as bad as the offense if not worse but they're they're calling for his head but i just think i just think it's such a small minority of people and i just don't see how this is in any way constructive. Like the teams, like I said, the team's not going to see some fan sitting in the stands with a crappily made homemade t-shirt and think, well, he's right. We, we got to do this. If they wanted him gone, if they weren't happy with how, how he was running the offense, he would not, we would, we would have seen a new coordinator hired in December. That didn't happen. Maybe you don't like the fact that you have to deal with it, but you have to deal with it. Tommy Condell will be the offensive coordinator here. Maybe he's not next year. Maybe he's even not somewhere later in the season if this if this season goes down the tubes. But like I said at the beginning of the year, I thought this team would struggle. They have struggled. They've dealt with injuries. That's contributed to it as well. But if they start winning games, no one's going to give a damn. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, I do believe that the coaching staff has to be better. For um, sure. Uh, because, you know, they're taking dumb penalties and they're, you know, like the time calculations and then all the disciplinary stuff, um, you know, with Chris Edwards and, and stuff like that. So I think you can point to Orlando more than you can point to Tommy for all that crap, because that's a lot of stuff that's going on. And Jeff Reinbold's special teams have been terrible as well. And you mentioned Mark Washington. I mean, the the blame can go around to all these guys. It's just not Tommy. So I agree that... Uh, no, I don't agree that anyone should be fired, but I, I think that everyone needs to be better. For sure. I mean, the last play of the game, they had 11 men on the field. Yes. Yeah, that brutal, me, brutal. Uh, The last play in the, on the field, on defense. Yeah. Not on offense, on defense. Had 11 yeah. men on the field. That's not Tommy Condell's fault. 
that might not even be Mark Washington's fault. You're right. Like, and again, I'm not calling for Alondo Steinhardt to be fired. I think Alondo Steinhardt no. is a good coach. And he didn't go from a 15 and three team and then all of a sudden forget how to coach. Like maybe the players aren't good enough. Maybe we overvalued how some of these players are. Like there's a number of reasons why this team is in the position that it's in. And for, for one guy, and maybe it's because it's offense and it's a CFL and you're expecting shootouts and all that other sorts of stuff, even though that's not the norm anymore that like, I think people, and we're guilty of this as well. We hold on to that. 1990 CFL, where you go and look up some of the scores, you're like, the final score of this was 64 to 58. What the hell? Like, you want to get back to that, but those days are not coming back. That this is not where the league is anymore. It's not where the league is going to be. If you like it for what you like it as, great. If you don't and you think it's not good enough and you go away, that's fine too. But I just think that he is getting a disproportionate amount of the blame for the failings of this team when. Prior to this past week, they were given up. They gave up 32 points or more in every single game they had played. So unless the offense was incredible, they were going to lose those games anyway. Like if they lose those games, third, like they they lost to the Bombers. They lost the Bombers 38-31. Now there are some defensive scores. They then they lose to the Argos and they get blown out by both them and and the Alouettes. If those games are a little bit closer, are we complaining about the offense? Like I just. The defense has to shoulder some of the blame. The entire coaching staff, like you said, I think has to shoulder some of the blame for this start. And then the mental errors to me is on the entire coaching staff. The time count violations are both on the players and on the coaches, not having things ready. 11 men on the field in the final play, like that's just inexcusable. Like I know we saw that years ago in a playoff game when they lost the BC Lions, uh, the great game that they ended up tied. It was the first playoff game at Tim Horton or at Iverwind Stadium in some time. They go to overtime, the final play where BC scores a touchdown to win the game or to win that, to get them to get the touchdown that then sent it to this, the, the overtime period where the Ticats don't make it. They had 11 guys on defense. So it's like those things happen. I understand those things happen, but there was confusion on the sidelines. I saw it with my own eyes. Duke Williams was going out there to be like, you know, you see that sometimes when teams are going to throw a Hail Mary, you throw a receiver out there to catch it because he's got, usually got better hands than a DB why they would do that in a situation where they were snapping the ball from like the 15. I'm not entirely sure, but that's not here for me to question. Uh, you know what I mean? But there's a lot of blame to go around for why this team is one and three and, and not living up to expectations. I just don't think all of it needs to be heaped on the offensive coordinator. And I think if you're out there putting faces on shirts, be better than that, man. Just, just, just be better. You want to move on now? Yep. Let's do it. All right. So let's get into some tie cats news. And this was something from last week that we didn't get a chance to speak on because it happened after we last sat down to record. But it's a semi-big move in that they signed former Edmonton Elks quarterback and receiver Kai Loxley. Loxley dressed in Hamilton's win over the Red Blacks on Saturday, but he didn't see the field in any meaningful way. I didn't. He obviously didn't make, take any snaps at quarterback, and I don't think I saw him on offense, and I'm pretty sure I didn't see him on special teams, so I don't really think he did anything on Saturday night, but he was the dressed uh, third quarterback. He was released, Loxley that is, by the Elks on June 26th after allegedly refusing to go back into the game during Edmonton's week three loss to the Toronto Argonauts. During his time in Edmonton, Loxley completed five of eight passes for 50 yards and ran the ball 55 times for 122 yards and seven touchdowns, mainly in the role as the team's short line or goal line or short yardage quarterback. He did spend most of his time, however, with the Elks as a receiver in 2022. He started 12 games for Edmonton, catching 17 passes for 247 yards. Given the headaches, at least outside of the building, that a guy like Chris Edwards has caused, 
What do you make of the Ticats, Mike, here, bringing in another guy who might make some sort of rash decisions or maybe be a bit of a hothead himself? Because if that if the situation of I'm not going back in the game because he fumbled earlier and then he tells the coach staff I'm not going back in, that's a little bit of a head-scratching decision by a player who's on the roster bubble. Bringing a guy like that in, you in favor of it? You does it have you concerned? What, what do you make of it? Kind of indifferent on this one. Uh, you know, I don't like the fact that he refused to go back. It's kind of like giving up on your team. And I know that Chris Jones has, you know, mismanaged the quarterbacks there at Edmonton. But, you know, you got to go in when you're asked to go in. So I'm leaning towards not liking this move for that fact and for the fact that, you know, he's just not a very good quarterback. You know, he's not – he's he's an athletic uh, player that that's all well and good but like you know what are we trying to get out of this is he just going to be the short yardage guy because i'm not sure bringing in a guy like that is worth it if that's all he's going to be doing so uh maybe he's just a guy that's going to be here until Bo gets healthy but to me it's like it's either i'm indifferent about it or i'm leaning towards i don't i don't like the move so it's interesting you mentioned the bow aspect of it because that's what where i was going to go next uh but I'll, I'll give you my opinion. The move's fine. Like, they they cut Nikosi Perry, who they brought in on a whim because they needed a third quarterback. Then Loxley gets cut. Like, I I, I get the move from a – you'd rather have a, a veteran than a, a guy who's never played in the league before. But you're right. He's not exactly a polished quarterback. Like, he's thrown eight passes in his career, so it's not as if he's he's a guy that's going to go in there and, and light the world on fire. As a short yardage QB, he was fairly successful, so I can see why that's uh, – of some interest to the team, but he didn't even, he wasn't even used in that role against Ottawa on Saturday. So I'm not entirely sure if even that's in, in, in the future for him, but you bring up the bow thing and that's where I want to go next. Do you think like this acquisition, do you think it means anything for Bo's return kind of timetable? Like, do you think this signifies that Bo is more likely to miss most, if not all of those six games, or do you think that the two moves aren't really correlated at all? No, I think they're correlated. I, I think Bo is going to be up for the full six games. I know it's not nothing that he's had injured in the past, but um, you know, with this team, it just seems like players disappear. We don't know what's going on with them. They're on the injured list for for a long time, and I, I assume that's what's going to happen with Bo. You know, I have no knowledge of how it's like. I'm pretty sure nobody does because they keep it under wraps so much. Yeah. Like, how is he doing? Is he moving along? Is he going to be back in a couple weeks? What's the story on him nobody fucking knows ever with this team so um i'm gonna say that he's probably going to the sixth game or it's going to be longer than that both could be out 12 games who knows so um yeah i think it's it's correlated yeah i, I do too i think if he was going to be back next week or even the week after that i think that you keep the young guy around you don't and what's you don't going on with dylan win What's the story with Wynn? Like this is a uh, guy. He's still he's he's still uh he's still nursing the injury from last year. He's still working his way back from that. So All that right. that I do know for sure. He's I think he's pretty close to returning now. Okay, I hope so. Jeez. Okay. Okay. Ratchet, I'm good. ratchet. Are you are you good? You good? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I was asked on Twitter what my thoughts are on both potential returns, and I looked at the schedule, and he's he's already missed uh, two games. He missed the Montreal game. He missed the Red Blacks game on on Saturday. They got this short week, so I, obviously he's not coming back this week. They got a bye week after they host the Alouettes for a second time, and that's the full six games that he'll have missed. And then it's a bye week before they then host Edmonton. And I'm kind of eyeing if if it's only going to be six six weeks, and like you said, no one knows. 
I'm as I'm as locked in on this team as as most people are, or, or as anyone is. I have no idea because you're right; they are extremely tight-lipped when it comes to this stuff. But if we take them at their word, and I will for now until proven otherwise, that he'll be able to come back after six weeks. They play those six games, they get a bye week, and then they play Edmonton at home. That seems to me like the prime time for him to return from that injury. And I do think that the moves like you do are related. I think if he was coming back early, if he was going to be able to play next week, let's say, because I, I think I think regardless of how hurt he was this short week, there was no chance he was coming back after. It's a, they got two practice sessions and then they're off to Edmonton. So I didn't see this as a possible return week regardless. So even if he was going to come back against the Argos two weeks from now, I, I, I don't think they make this move, but they did. But what do you want the team to do at QB once Bo is back? Obviously, Bo will be number one. Schiltz will be number two. Do do they cut Loxley? Do they keep him as their number three and short yardage guy and then move Taylor Powell, the youngster, to the practice roster? Like, what do you want to happen and what do you think will happen? Well, I want to, I want them to keep Powell as a number three. I just I don't see the point in having Loxley around. I mean, Powell maybe has some potential. I don't see any potential in Kay Loxley, unless you're going to switch his positions, maybe play him at receiver or something like that. But I would rather go with the younger guy. Um, I'm, I'm assuming he's younger than Loxley, but the guy that yeah. they've eyed as a prospect um, than go with a guy that's, you know, I'm just, I'm just not convinced that he can be anything down the road as a CFL quarterback. He is wearing number 89, so they did give him a receiver number, even though he is also the third-string quarterback, which is kind of bizarre. I do wonder if they'll keep him around, though, because we know how much they like guys that can do multiple things. Like, he can play on special teams. He can be that short yardage quarterback. He could play in a pinch if need be, and he can obviously play receiver. Whether that's something that they need, I don't necessarily know. they got enough guys, I think, that can handle those those loads, but... uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they kept him around and then moved Powell to the practice roster. But of course, Powell could say, I don't want to go to the practice roster because that players are allowed to do that. Most of the time after train, when training camp ends, you see guys that just say, I'm not, I'm not playing. I'm not playing on the practice roster. And that's why they don't make the team. What are you doing over there? What's that? You hear I, something? I guess you're, I hear crinkling and crunching. Oh, Oh no, no. Are you moving your hands uh, or something? I, I was scratching my ear there for a second. Maybe that was. Oh, maybe it. maybe it's that. Maybe it's okay. that. That I just like. It just like can't. I was like, it, it's been happening a bit. And I was like, what the hell is it? Like, is he? Huh. Is he? Is he opening beds? Like, no, is he, no, is no. he eating McDonald's? No. Like, what the I'm hell? Cheetos, eating Cheetos, and watching porn <laughs> over here. But yeah, you know, it's also. I think we've said enough about a third string quarterback who might only be here for about a month. So you want to play a game? We want to play some fill in the blank, Mike. You ready to go? I like games. Yep. All right. All right. Let's play some fill in the blank now. We saw an only in the CFL moment on Thursday night when the Saskatchewan Rough Riders beat the Edmonton Elks on Mike's favorite scoring play, a rouge, when Elks returner CJ Sims let a kickoff bounce into the end zone immediately following the touchdown that tied the game for Saskatchewan. That was one of the all-time blunders. And in the aftermath, we have seen blame thrown around at a lot of people, from Sims for not knowing the rule, to Chris Jones and the coaching staff for not making sure Sims knew the rule. So, Mike, let's end this once and for all. Let's end this debate that people have been having since Thursday night. The person or persons most at fault for the Elks losing on a rouge is blank. The coaching staff. Uh, Like, I don't know what happened. But you gotta communicate, especially in that situation near the end of the game like that. You'll pound it into this guy's head that you can't let the ball go into the end zone and give up that point. 
Now, I hate the Rouge, and everyone knows that, but it's a part of the game. It's a rule that's not going away anytime soon, so I have to lay the blame at the feet of the coaching staff for not letting him know because, you know, you tell him numerous times because this is a funky rule that's not any part of the American game. I don't know how long C.J. Sims has been up here, but you got to pound it into his head in that situation. Do you want the real answer or do you want the fun answer? Because the fun answer is the league for having such a stupid rule. Okay, I like that's, that answer. That's the fun that, answer. Okay, let's get the real then. The real answer is with you. I'm with the, co- the coaching staff. Because yeah. when he's going out there for that kickoff, they must know that there's the possibility that it could, it could get booted deep. Because the only way you kick a kickoff, like we rarely see kickoffs go in the end zone. The only reason that happens is if either the team moves up because of a penalty or there's a really strong wind on his way out. One of the coaches, whether it's a special teams coordinator or whether it's Chris Jones himself, needs to pull the kid aside before he goes out there and go, whatever you do, I don't care what you do. Make sure that that ball does not go into the end zone. And if it goes into the end zone, you do everything you can to get it out of the end zone. I don't care if you get tackled on the four yard line, you get that ball out of the end zone. We are not giving up a point. That is on the coaches. The player needs to know the rule, but for a player who I'm fairly certain has been up here since May, I think it's his, he's a rookie, those mistakes are going to happen. We we saw it. I remember a game here at, at 2014, 2015. It might have even been Labor Day where Brandon Stewart recovered uh, an onside punt because he was one of three players that they had moved onside. He goes down, and it was against the Argos. And I, I want to say it was A.J. Jefferson remember him from back in the day mm-hmm. i think he was the punt returner and he's standing there and he's, he's like backing off because that's what you're taught essentially and then brandon stewart comes in there and recovers the ball and then up you know the flags fly but then they pick him up and it's like no it's a it's a fumble recovery because he was on side and aj jefferson's like what the hell because it's one of those quirky things about the canadian game where in in the u.s a guy runs and downs a ball on a punt regard it's a it's a down ball and the offense gets it you know what i mean so There are quirky rules up here. The coaching staff knows these rules better than the players, or at least it's more in a, especially for a guy like Jones, who's been up here essentially for over 20 years coaching in this league. He needs to pull his player aside and go, whatever you do, make sure that this does not go into the end zone. And if it does, you get it out come hell or high water. So to me, the blame falls squarely or majoritarily on the coaching staff. Mike, the downfall that you have been saying would happen for years seems to finally be upon us as the Calgary Stampeders have looked like one of the worst teams in the league so far in 2023. After taking an 11-1 lead on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on Friday night, the Stamps failed to score another point, and that was in the first half, by the way, failed to score another point and lost 24-11 to the Bombers. The loss drops Calgary to 1-3 on the season, just the second time since 2004 that the Stamps have begun a season with three losses in their first four games. The other time was in 2021. They bounced back from that to make the playoffs, of course. The offense has been mediocre under the stewardship of quarterback Jake Mayer, and the defense no longer looks like that same dominant unit that we've seen in the past few years. There's a lot of blame to go around in Calgary right now, but for you, Mike, the primary reason the Stampeders have fallen from their perch atop the CFL is blank. Not replacing their talent that leaves. You know, they've had this cocky attitude of we can let anybody go at any time and our scouts and our GM will find guys to bring in that will replace them, uh, do an equal job or an even better job. And maybe that's the case here. Now, they let go Bo Levi Mitchell, and I know that he hasn't lit the world on fire 
uh, in his first three games and then he got injured. But Jake Merritt doesn't look that great either. So maybe that's a misstep by them. Maybe they have the wrong quarterback. But I'm putting the blame on Dave Dickinson because he's the guy in charge now. John Hoffnagel is, you know, he's still part of the organization, but technically he's not the GM anymore, right? So yep. uh, Dave Dickinson is wearing quite a few hats. And, uh, you know, he let a, few, a lot of guys go in the offseason. Brought in new guys, and maybe those new guys aren't good enough. Yeah, that's a really good answer. I'm going to make it much more simpler than that. It's the fact that their quarterback's not any good. And mm-hmm. in this league, if you don't have a good quarterback, you can't win football games. Jake Mayer, now that he's the man, has shown he doesn't have, I don't think at least, the chops to be a top-level quarterback. He's tentative. It's a, He throws a lot of short passes and relies on his backs and receivers to make plays and to pick up yardage. Mm -hmm. He's, I just don't think he's good enough. I also do wonder if, and we kind of talked about this before, uh, I think it was last week when we talked about coaches on the hot seat, these guys that are wearing more than one hat, these GMs and presidents of football operations and head coaches not doing too well this year. You got him, Dave Dickinson, you got Orlando Steinhauer here in Hamilton, and you got Chris Jones. They got two wins between them in what, what would it be? Would they be two and uh, I think two and 11 combined? And maybe it's just too much for one guy to have both of those jobs. Those are both supposed to be theoretically full time jobs. And you got one guy doing both. It, it can't be easy. And, yeah, you can surround yourself with some good people. And Calgary has good people. Like you mentioned, John Huffnagle is still there. I believe he's the president of the team. But I'm imagining that he stepped aside from his GM duties because he wanted to do lesser work, not more. And I just I just wonder if. If that's just if it's too much for one person to do, and we're seeing we're seeing the teams that are struggling because of that, but I do ultimately think it's that they don't have the right quarterback. I think that that run that they've been on by finding great quarterback after great quarterback since they acquired Doug Flutie, I think that's coming to an end. You know, like I know that there was a blip in there post uh, Dave Dickinson and Henry Burris. Uh, there was that ter- those terrible years where the owner tried to make his son the starting quarterback, and he just just didn't work while he laughed and, and there was a, a dry spell there. I mean, they won a cup in that, in that stance, but it was mostly pretty, that was really the only bad times we've seen the Stampeders in our lifetimes, essentially not be one of the best teams in the league, but it certainly looks as if and I'm with you. I not as if, if they kept Bo, I'm not even sure if that would have made a difference. I, as high as we were on him, seeing him play this year, it does seem to feel like maybe father time is catching up to him, especially with the injuries. But, uh, yeah, I just don't think they have the quarterback to to do it. And I think in this league, you win with good play in the trenches. You win with having good Canadians. But above all, you need a good quarterback. And I just don't think they might have the worst quarterback in the league right now, quite frankly. And if that's the case, you're not going to win very many football games. So I'm, I'm putting the blame and maybe not blame, but I'm putting the reason for Calgary's slow start and probably their their playoff streak coming to an end. Pretty much a lot of it goes on Jake Mayer's shoulders. Replay controversies sprang up this past weekend, Mike, with two standing out above the rest. In Thursday's game between the Riders and Elks, it looked as if Elks quarterback Taylor Cornelius threw the ball after he passed the line of scrimmage. The call was reviewed and upheld as a legal forward pass. And then in Saturday's game between Hamilton and Ottawa, Ticats receiver Richie Sandani seemed to have a touchdown catch stolen from him when he caught the ball, got his body down in bounds, and then had the ball ripped from his arms after he was out of bounds. This call was also reviewed and upheld as an incomplete pass. These two plays, but in particular the first one, 
led many on social media to wonder why the CFL on TSN does not have a rules expert on the telecast to fill the audience in on why these rulings are made. We have seen leagues such as the NFL and NBA hire former refs for their broadcasts to give viewers that insight, and it seems like many would like the CFL to do the same. So, Mike, the CFL on TSN adding a former ref as a rules expert to explain controversial calls would be blank. Welcomed. Uh, I think that would be a great addition to the CFL on TSN broadcast. You know, there's these things come up, you know, not very often, but they do come up every once in a while, like we saw this past week. So it'd be nice to get a rules experts, a, rec- a rules expert in there to explain what's going on, because there's there's so many rules in the CFL game that even like the heart hardest of hardcore fans have a tough time keeping up. You know, like we like we watch the CFL our whole lives and sometimes we learn a new thing when we're watching a game, a new rule. So I think they they would benefit greatly from from someone to explain to the fans what the hell's going on. I think it would be great at first and then would devolve into the garbage we see. Cause I don't like the, I don't watch a ton of with the NBA. I watch more NFL and the NFL one, it, it started as, okay, what are we seeing here? Why was this call made? And they give you the, now it's like a guy clearly drops the ball or like the re like, it seems every time they go to replay review in the NFL, they bring the rules expert on. And even if it's plain as day, he didn't get his feet down. Like, or he got one foot in and one foot out. Like, it's the easiest stuff in the world. They bring this guy on to tell you why they're making it. And it's just, it's boring television doesn't add to it. When it first started, it was great. Cause it's like, okay, why did this happen? This is why, this is what the ref is saying to the replay guy. Like it, they gave you true insight. And I think that's exactly what would happen here. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I think it would be a, like you said, a welcome addition to the broadcast, but I think it would end up starting as, okay, here's this cool thing. They're finally doing something like this. And then it would get into Oh, they're like, like the challenge. Uh, I think it was the BC Montreal game. There's a challenge for pass. No, no, that was a challenge for pass interference. It wasn't a challenge for a completed catch. I don't know. I've seen some challenges where it's like very clear. Orlando had to cut a couple challenges in the first couple of games where you're just like, what the hell is he challenging yeah. here? Like this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I, I fear that we would, they would go to replay and they'd, they'd find some way to, you know, bury that into the ground too, because it's just, it just seems like TSN is incapable of having a, a semi entertaining broadcast. And they would just, they would, because it's already been done so, so frequently in the other sports, they copy that model instead of copying the model. That was why everyone was excited about it in the first place. And instead we get, well, they're challenging this call on LeBron and it's like, well, yeah, because he wasn't fouled. And it's like, well, yeah, we can see that with replay. We don't need someone to come in and tell us that now in these situations, it, it would have been helpful. Like with the Edmonton situation, I've seen a lot of people still mad about it. And if you go back and they just spotted the ball wrong, the ball was supposed to be on the 30 yard line, not the 29 yard line. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. And that's exactly what had happened. So the, the center just had the ball at the wrong spot. Why that was allowed to play out. I don't know. So he wasn't, he was behind the line of scrimmage when he threw it. So it wasn't a, uh, wasn't a mistake by anybody, but again, even something like that, like, you remember the CFL used to have that, like, like uh, I don't even know what they called it. It wasn't like a rules. They may have been like football operations or something. And every time there was a challenge or whatever, they would give a reason for why. Like it wasn't a very good one in in some cases. It was basically just regurgitating what we'd heard at the game. But they tried that out. And I feel like they've completely gotten away from doing that. They probably let go of the poor intern who was running it anyway. So they probably just don't have anyone to do it. But it just it 
it just feels like it would be something that would be a welcome addition, like you said, but would just devolve into the same crap we always see where it would just be t- giving us stuff that we already know the answer to instead of being that interesting thing where it's like, because mm-hmm. I would like to hear an explanation as to why Richie's and Danny's catch wasn't a touchdown because there was a the Argos game on Monday against BC, there was a touchdown catch in that game where the guy caught it, ran into the, the stands outside and dropped the ball. And it's like in, in the same scenario that we saw with Sindani, that shouldn't be a catch. You know what I mean? Or they both are catches, you know, but what is and what isn't a catch is confounded football people for apparently forever, it would seem. Mm-hmm. All the so I, 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 yeah, I just, I want, I, I would love to get this to be a, a good thing. I just worry that it would just end up being the same old boring nonsense we get on CFL broadcasts that I've had for quite some time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I get you. All right. I think it's fair to say, Mike, that the CFL is divided. The teams, that is, are divided into three groups this year. There's the really good teams, Toronto, Winnipeg, and BC. There's the one that looks good, but I think we're all a little, still a little hesitant about in Saskatchewan. And then we have five mediocre to bad teams, Montreal, Hamilton, Ottawa, Calgary, and Edmonton. Those bottom five teams all have records at or below 500, with the Owls leading the pack at 2-2, two and two, and the Elks residing at the bottom as the only winless team remaining at 0-5. We know at least two of these teams in that in that bottom five group will make the playoffs. Six teams make the playoffs every year. The two top groups that I mentioned have a combined four teams. So two teams from the Owls, Ticats, Red Black, Stamps, and Elks group will find themselves in the Grey Cup tournament in November. So since we know a couple of these teams will turn their seasons around or at least be moderately successful by making the playoffs, I want to know, of the five teams with records at or under 500 right now, the one that you have the most confidence in is blank. I'm going to go with their Tiger Cats. <clears throat> now, uh, you know, I think they're playing beatable opponent, opponents coming up the next, you know, four or five games. There might be, uh, I think there's Toronto in there at one point, and that'll be a tough one. But, you know, facing the Elks and the Red Blacks three times in the next, um, you know, stretch of games, we could turn it around, get to 500, maybe get some confidence back. And then go from there. Maybe we get some guys back along the offensive line. Maybe we get Bo Levi Mitchell back into the fold. And then we go from there. So I think the Hamilton Tiger Cats have the best chance of turning it around. Uh, people are going to call us homers here because I think the same thing. I, I just did process. Like, and I'm not a huge. I won't say I'm not a huge believer in the Tiger Cats because I'm still 10 toes down on them. But of these five, the Elks are just bad. Like we were just wrong about them at the beginning of the year when we thought they'd turn it around. The stamps Mm -hmm. don't look very good. The red blacks, I would have, I would have picked them if Jeremiah Mazzoli was going to play. But as we found out today, our fears were confirmed. He does have a torn Achilles. He is out for the rest of the season. They just don't. And maybe this Dustin crumb guy can be something, but they clearly have no faith in Nick Arbuckle. And, I just can't – what quarterback are they going to go out there and get? Like I've heard there's rumors of McLeod. They've reached out to McLeod Bethel-Thompson, but if he's going to come back, he always said, I'm only going to come back in Toronto, but, you know, money talks, so who knows about mm-hmm. that. What quarterback – like, they're not the, – why would the Lions trade Dane Evans to Ottawa? You know what I mean? Or why would Edmonton trade Trey Ford to Ottawa? Like, no team's going to help out the Red Blacks in their quarterback situation, so I feel like they're a ways away from from getting good. And I know Montreal's got the most wins out of them, but they got the, they got here. Hamilton plays Edmonton this week. They could get to two and three. The Owls play Toronto this week. They could be down to two and three. And I just don't trust Cody Fajardo and Jason Moss. Like I, I think we talked when we did our, our coaches like power rankings or however we did that, that we, both of us like Jason Moss, I think a lot more than the public does, 
but I just don't believe in Cody Fajardo. He's getting sacked way too much. I think it's over mm-hmm. 20 now on yeah. the year. He's I on think pace it was, like 103. Which is insane. Times, yeah. That's insane. He, he won't make the season if he gets sacked 50 times, let alone 70, let alone 100. Like, they, they can't protect the quarterback, and he can only do so much. I, I just can't believe in them. And then there that leaves the Cats. And even if you're not high on the tie Cats, you just got to think, one of the reasons they've they've been down so far this year has a lot to do with injuries. If they can get healthy, the coaching staff we know can can, play, can coach winning football. We know the players can play winning football. I feel like that's the team that's best equipped to turn things around. And like you said, they got a, they got some winnable games. I think it's, like you said, three of the next, I think, five are against Edmonton and Ottawa. And then they play Montreal in there once. So that could be a game that could separate them from the Owls. And they do have a game against the Argos, although that's here in Hamilton. Maybe a different story than it would be if that game was in Toronto. So, I mean, the Cats could go on a little bit of a mini run here. And if they, they do that, then by the time we get to Labor Day, we're ta- not talking about a team that's four and whatever, three and whatever. We're talking about a team that, that's above 500. So, yeah, I kind of got to go with the Ticats there, too, as a little more trepidatious than I think I normally am, even though, as I said, 10 toes down. So very much believe in this team. But of those five, I don't think there's anyone you can pick other than the Cats. All right, let's move on to our game preview for the week. Fresh off their first victory of the season, the Hamilton Tiger Cats will hit the road to Mike, your current stomping grounds, as they will take on the Edmonton Elks on Thursday night at Commonwealth Stadium. Since it has been pounded into our heads ad nauseum, we know that the Elks have lost 19 in a row at home and have not won at Commonwealth since October of 2019. During the streak, however, the Ticats have only played in Edmonton once, back in 2021 when they defeated the Elks 39-23. to Hamilton, though, have had a fair amount of success in Edmonton over the last few years. They have won their last three meetings between the two teams at Commonwealth and have won six of their last eight games that they have played in the Alberta Capitol, dating back to 2013. Half of Hamilton's six recent Commonwealth triumphs have come by double digits, winning by 29 in 2015, 17 in 2018, and 16 in 2021. So, Mike, in your opinion, what do the Tiger Cats have to do to keep Edmonton's home losing streak intact and secure their second win of the season? The defense needs to be better. You know, the, the crumb comes in for the Ottawa Red Blacks, and he moves the ball pretty well. I know that the score didn't indicate that the defense had a bad game, but... <clears throat> I was not impressed with them last game. So they need to play better against a poor offensive team like the Edmonton Elks. They need to limit penalties. They can't be taking dumb penalties and stupid mistakes. And that's about it. You know, be better on defense. Don't take stupid penalties. And you should win this game because Edmonton is terrible. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of those. I got sevens, not threes. They got to start start scoring touchdowns. Like they can't keep now maybe against Edmonton you can rely on Mark Leggio's leg like if he kicks six field goals that might be enough to beat Edmonton but they got to start putting and against a team like Edmonton that has been so bad if you can't score on this team I'm I'm very concerned about who you can score on they can't let Taylor Cornelius out of the pocket and scramble and run around this team has been burned by scrambling quarterbacks before Cody Fajardo hurts them a lot because of his ability to break the pocket and then make things happen with his feet or use his feet to make things happen through the air. Taylor Cornelius, I don't think is a good quarterback. Sorry, Mike, but if you can, if you can keep him in the pocket, if you can not allow him to use his athleticism, I think you can limit the damage that their, their offense Edmonton's that is offense can do against Hamilton. 
And I think this is one of those ones where you, and I said this last week, get on them early, get it, establish a lead and make Edmonton play from behind. Edmonton has a good running back. They have a good run game, but if they're down by 14 points or they're down by 13 points or 17 points midway through the second quarter, they're going to have to abandon the run game and try to get chunk yardage through the air. And that's where you can get things like interceptions or force Cornelius into making some throws he doesn't want to. So I think you, you got to score touchdowns, not field goals. I think you got to keep Taylor Cornelius hemmed in. And I think you got to try to establish a lead early, which has been a problem for the Ticats. They have not had a lead at halftime in any game this season. But if they could do those things, I, I think they can get the win. Mike, are you going to this game that, since it's in Edmonton? Are you going to be in attendance on Thursday night? I will be right behind the Ticats bench. Oh, uh, pretty low, row 13. Uh, right above midfield. So yes, I will be there, and they better win. I tell you. <laughs> How many? Yeah, times I have you... about this one because you know that 19 game. I did, it would be so tie cats to come oh, into shit. Edmonton, and I know that they played really well here, um, all the time basically. But it'd be so tie cats for them to come in here and then get the loss and break the streak of the Edmonton Elks. You know, it, it'd just be. I can see that happening, but let's keep our fingers crossed. It does not. Yeah, I'm thinking positive vibes, but I thought the exact same thing. It's like it would, of course, we'd be the the punchline to the joke, right? Like everyone else goes in there and whoops their ass, and then the Ticats go in there and lay an egg, and, and the Elks finally get that that much-needed home victory. It would not shock me whatsoever. You, though, haven't really seen a lot of Ticats losses there. Like when did you, no. you move out to Edmonton? I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, spill your business out here, but – Moved Edmonton like was it just before the 2015 game? So you've been out there for pretty much victory yeah. after victory after victory. I think 2017 yeah, I think was the only time you saw them lose. Yes, correct. I've only seen them lose once here. Um, they didn't come last year, but yep. every other time it's been a victory for the Tiger Cats, including that famous comeback game. So uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun going to games and watch them win. Hopefully, they I can watch another win uh, this Thursday night. Uh, I think it might be. Uh, I think my mother and I might be the only people in the stands uh, in that <laughs> game because it's a Thursday nighter and, you know, the Elks have been terrible. So the attendance has been bad. So we might have the whole stadium to ourselves. All right. Might be home field advantage for Hamilton in that one then. Yeah. And look, you've seen that one loss. We're not going to hold that one against you. That was 2017 and they were just bad to start the season then. So yeah, I still think you're their good luck charm, Mike. So uh, let, let's see another victory, get this team to two and three, and then it's on to the Argos, which I think is a big, could be a big matchup, and that'll be, could be a lot of fun. Maybe, maybe we break their streak too. Instead of, instead of breaking the Alex home losing streak, we keep that one intact. Maybe the Argos come in at four and oh, we knock them off, and then all of a sudden, Ticats three and three, like I said, they'd be kind of cooking with gas after that, would we not be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be a lot of momentum, you know, beating the defending Grey Cup champions that were undefeated. Uh, I would love that, you know, get a, get three wins in a row, get back to 500 and then start from there. As much as I want to see it just because we're fans of the team, I'd also like to see it, see how many people do uh do a 180 after they start 0-3, mm-hmm. but then win three in a row to get to three and three. How many people who have just been, and look, I'm not saying we haven't been negative about the team. No, no, I, I I've said, I don't think they're very good right now. I would just like to see how, how uh, some of the more vocal anti Ticats, Ticats fans would be, I'm yeah. sure they'd come up with some excuse why the team still stinks, right? Or they disappear completely, and you just wouldn't hear. <laughs> you wouldn't hear from them until they start losing again, and then they'd pop up. Which is which is kind of the modus operandi for a lot of Ticats fans, unfortunately. Uh, okay, that was Podski Weaver for this week. I'm Josh Smith, and I'm Mike Graham. Eat 'em raw. Eat 'em raw. <laughs>